It is now the future, folks, and we have things that have not been in our world before, like cars that drive themselves, like the internet. It's a brand new world. It's like there's new things, including online counseling. Before, uh, when I was first becoming a therapist in the mid-90s, the internet was just for certain people on this planet. It was very rare for the for regular folks to have the internet. Then came America Online and then other kinds of things. But now everyone has the internet for the most part, or lots of people do, particularly in the United States. And people are turning to the internet for various things, shopping, shall we say, uh, also dating, and counseling. So today I thought we would talk about online counseling, and I brought a special guest back on the show, uh, Shannon McFarlane, who has been a guest on the show before. Welcome back to the show, Thank Shannon. Thank you. She's a graduate from the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and she's a successful therapist, and she's also done some online counseling, from what I understand. That's right. Yeah. I see your posts on Facebook. Oh, good. And so I thought I'd have her on the show to, to talk about that. Let me introduce the podcast. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Shannon, what is your introduction? <laughs> I'm Shannon McFarlane. Um, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist here in Seattle. Um, and uh, I'm in private practice, and my entire uh, private practice is now online. Where can people find you online? How do they access you as a therapist online? Well, I work through a, um, an online therapy platform called Talkspace. Okay. Right. So I want to hear what your experience is of providing these services, mm -hmm. because I have extremely limited experience with this, mm -hmm. not only myself, but with colleagues. I, I don't have a lot of colleagues, if any, that do this besides you. So I, I want to hear more about your experience. But first, I want to talk about just kind of the landscape a little bit first. Sure. So what are the various websites that provide online counseling, to your knowledge? Um, there's, there's several out there now. Um, two of the bigger ones are Talkspace, which is the one I work through. Um, there's also one called BetterHelp. Um, I believe there's other, like Doctors on Demand. I believe they might be providing online therapy now. It's becoming more and more popular. Okay. Mm -hmm. Talkspace, BetterHelp. I I also did a quick Google and Breakthrough.com. Mm, I haven't just, heard of that one. Yeah. And I remember back in the day, one called Live Person. Okay. Which was for any kind of professional, like it could be a plumber or oh, okay. a, a physician, but also uh -huh. a therapist. I don't know if people use this anymore, but I remember that back in the day. Um, it should also be noted that online counseling encompasses therapy provided online that doesn't necessarily happen on a website, right? Right. The term, you know, like right. I could, for instance, start me personally with someone in my office and then say they move to Alabama and we can't see each other in person anymore. And so we turn to Skype or email or something sure. for online counseling. I don't do that, but mm -hmm. someone you could see doing that. So it might not have anything to do with a website. Mm-hmm. But the benefit of having a, a website, being associated with a website, is my guess is you get a lot of client referrals. Just people right. go to that site and then they connect with you through that site. Right. And it's also um, HIPAA compliant and has you know protocols in place like okay. that that you might not find with Skype. Great. 
Um, actually, uh, I might have to blast you on that in a second. Um, just on, I want to hear your thoughts on that, but, um, we'll get into some of that in a second, just to tease everyone with some potential conflict between me and Shannon. Um, what are the various terms for online counseling? I love, I love this because there are so many terms for online counseling that I've found, but what are the different terms that you've heard before? Uh, like you have online like counseling, online therapy, online distance therapy, counseling, distance counseling, uh-huh. um, video counseling, video counseling. Yeah. Those are some also telehealth, which is right. sort of a broader e-health. Mm-hmm. I love, I hate that e-health telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we fall underneath that behavioral telehealth, telemental health, behavioral e-care, behavioral e-health, e-therapy, which else? I hate and these ETH. It's like, come on. Technology-assisted distance counseling, distance psychotherapy, online counseling, internet counseling, internet therapy, internet psychotherapy, cyber therapy, email counseling, web counseling, <laughs> telepsychology, cyber psychology, telepsychiatry, cyber psychiatry. The list goes on and on. It's just one of those things where it lends itself to authors inventing words mm-hmm. so that it sounds cool. Right. And they're still trying to work all that out. What is it called? (laughs) Right. The uh, term that I've seen emerge recently is teletherapy or telecounseling. But that also doesn't... I I, I don't know. I kind of like just distance counseling or distance therapy makes the most sense because it it would encompass everything. Because tele implies telephone. Um, Anyway. So, uh, and online doesn't encompass phone calls. Right. You know what I mean? So distance. Mm -hmm. Anyway. That's a broader term. Right. Um, Like in my disclosure statement, I refer to it as distance, Mm -hmm. um, not as these other terms. The uh, and this is in contrast to what we would call in-person or face-to-face services. So you'll hear us use those terms. Okay. Do you know any research regarding the effectiveness of online counseling? Well, there's more and more out there, um, of course. And um, like we, there are some studies published by Columbia University. There's many studies in process. Um, and they are find, you know, finding it to be effective. Yeah. So. Yeah, I find that it depends on the presenting problem. If you are treating, for example, generalized anxiety or a phobia, I can absolutely imagine online counseling being just as effective as in person. However, if someone was, t- if if it was couples therapy, mm-hmm. it, I it, I just cannot imagine. And maybe you can tell your experiences, mm-hmm. um, being able to do couples therapy mm-hmm. in any other way other than being in the room mm-hmm. with the person, mm-hmm. similar to personality disorders. I just can't imagine being able, I mean, maybe, maybe, I don't know. But, uh, so there are certain things that certain presenting problems that I think absolutely might even be better online, you know, for instance, depression or like discrete anxiety, like that's all that they suffer from. They don't have personality disorder. They don't Mm -hmm. have PTSD. Mm -hmm. They just have anxiety, like a phobia. Mm -hmm. I can absolutely imagine online or distance therapy being better because, you can go back and forth throughout the week. They can check right. in for right. five minutes mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. instead of just one session at once a week. You can share logs online. You know, you can look at like, oh, she had 
uh, a spike in anxiety earlier today, mm -hmm. according to this log that we both look at every day. Maybe I should contact her and ask her how she's doing because I know she tends to isolate when this happens and maybe I need to reach out. In-person therapists would almost never do that. Right. And so I can see how certain things would absolutely lend themselves, but I could see how other things would just be like terrible uh, for, for online counseling, even video. I mean, maybe video for, for couples, but I don't know. What's your experience? Well, you're not alone. I mean, there is a lot of skepticism for sure. And I was one of those skeptics a couple, two and a half years ago before I started doing it. Um, but it's it's been surprisingly um, effective in my experience. So um, like with couples, you mentioned couples, and it, it's, it's hard to imagine what that would look like. Um, with video therapy, you're able to see still their body language, their dynamic, and you're able to interact with them right? to, and, to an extent, mm -hmm. I would say. Okay. Uh, for me, uh -huh. when I watch people on Skype, I, it's just a rough percentage. I'm getting 10% the nonverbal from, from video that I can get from being in the room with somebody. Okay. So what do you, what do you see in the room that you might not see on video? Uh, things I probably couldn't put into words, Okay, but a, like a felt sense. Yeah, a felt sense mm -hmm. and a just more data. You mm -hmm. know, you on a video, you're looking at a tiny little, you know, video thing on a screen. Mm -hmm. Or even if it's a big screen, you're still just kind of looking at their their head or what they, you know, whereas if they're in your office, you you know, you see them from head to toe. Mm -hmm. And um but I don't know. So have you done online therapy yes. with, with couples? Yes, I have. And have you found success with that? I have. And that's with video? Well, with both video and messaging. Messaging meaning like chat. Right. Or email. Um, chat. Oh, chat. So, so live chat. It's not live. So it's asynchronous. Okay. And they both have access to this room. Yeah. And they both write in it. And yeah. then I write as well. And oh. what what's been really cool to see is that um, just by virtue of writing it down and what they're going to say, a lot of times they have a lot more awareness of, you know, they'll see in writing what they were going to actually just blurt out verbally. And <laughs> right. they're like, oh, oh my God, wow, that sounds a lot worse than I meant it. Uh -huh. um, so there's some of that um, that's been really compelling. And then also it, slow, it just kind of slows down reaction time. So right. when couples are in a room together, you know, sparring back and forth, it's just easy to verbally kind of go back and forth. But when they are each writing, um, what I've seen is that it slows down that reaction time. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I'm aware of that as well. I, I'm, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm convinced by what you're saying. I'm still skeptical though of if someone was borderline mm -hmm. in a couple, a mm -hmm. lot of, a lot of client, a lot of couples clients have at least one member suffering from at least a mild personality issue. Mm -hmm. And I would just think that, and cause in person with them is hard enough, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that uh, without being in person, it would be hard to get things done such as detecting what's really happening for that person mm -hmm. and providing an emotional space of a corrective emotional experience, sure. which can absolutely happen over, over email. I've, I've, I've experienced that with clients before where I'll send a particularly, 
at, you know, attempting to heal some wounds sort of email with someone and it works, you mm-hmm. know, it's nothing that emails can a- absolutely be emotionally impactful mm-hmm. or, you know, written text on online. But, but I don't know, I just, I, with some of my clients, I'm just imagining it would, it would just, it would either stagnate or the client would terminate pretty quick because they would find that it wasn't having the substance, I suppose, that in-person therapy would with couples? I don't know. What, what's your experience with that? Well, my experience has been the opposite of that, actually. Um, you know, it, it's different for every couple, of course, but the couples that I've had that have been really successful at it um, are both highly engaged, and so they're the same couple that would be highly engaged in person, um, and they're both working at it. What works really well is that they can write anytime. So if they're doing the messaging therapy, they can write anytime. Um, they're not having to save things up for you know a, a session, you know once a week or once every other week or something. And so you're able to work with problems like in real time. Yeah. Um, and there's something that happens the way we process information. I think when they when you see things in writing. So not only is it slowing down the reaction time between them, but if your partner's reading what you wrote, I hear so many times like, oh, okay, I didn't even realize that that's what, how, what you were thinking. Because when we're talking, when, they're ta- when we're talking to our partner, so many times we have our own filter and we're not really even hearing what they're saying. Yeah. You know? And so we're just thinking about our response or how it's making us feel in that moment. Um, but then when you have the time to read what somebody's thinking, I hear just, I can't even tell you how often I hear, you know, I had no idea that my partner was thinking that. Yeah. Um, so I've seen a lot of benefit from that. Yeah, I could see that. I could see how for some people, and I've seen this in my professional life, that some people will actually never say something verbally that they would say in writing. Mm-hmm. Things that are extremely helpful to be communicated Mm -hmm. for some reason the person just cannot say it out Mm -hmm. loud but they can write it right and And that's another good point people are a lot more revealing in writing so sometimes you're getting to the issues much faster right right so research yeah there's a fair amount of research pointing at the effectiveness uh similar to in in person there's some research that say it's not as effective as I said earlier, my guess is it has to do with presenting problem. The sort of whenever people talk about like the effectiveness of therapy, I always just say like, well, what sort of therapy for what sort of problem? Mm-hmm. Because for some people, therapy can mean couples counseling, mm-hmm. but it can also mean uh, counseling someone who's schizophrenic, right? And those are like completely different, almost professions, you know? Right. And so. Is is online counseling effective at reducing uh, schizophrenia symptoms? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know the research on that, uh, but can it can it help with anxiety? I mean, there's forms of therapy that don't even involve other humans that are good at reducing anxiety mm-hmm. or right. depression. Mm-hmm. There's workbooks and online right. you know tutorials you can follow mm-hmm. that have been proven to or demonstrated to reduce symptoms. Um, but the kind of things that will always need a human are the kinds of therapies that we've been talking about, like couples therapy Mm -hmm. or relationship issues. Yeah. And some of these people you have to remember might not have time or money to seek out in-person therapy. 
Right. Um, right. So let's get into that. Like, what are the, what are the benefits that you, that you can see with online counseling? Well, um, you know, it's convenient. You can do it from anywhere. Yeah. Right. You don't have to drive somewhere and find parking and, um, you don't have to wait for an appointment. Um, so it's very convenient. It's, it's affordable. Yeah. So you're paying, you know, a, in some cases, a subscription cost, and you're getting a lot more access to a therapist than you are just if you're booking appointments. Okay. Um, and then there's kind of there's a, a stigma um, that people don't think about when they're using technology. Yeah. You know, they don't think of it. Uh, it's not as shameful. So, um, in society, so, right? In society, right? So um, people are reaching out to get help uh, in ways that they wouldn't normally seek it out themselves. Right. So, right. Yeah. Those are all the things that I can identify people in rural areas mm -hmm. that the closest therapist might actually be two or three hours away or, you know, along those lines, someone who's confined or disabled, mm -hmm. can't leave their house, an elderly person, mm -hmm. someone who's socially phobic, agoraphobic, mm -hmm. they, they, because of their disorder, they can't leave their house. Right. Therefore... Right. Going to a therapist to get help, ironically, they can't do. Prisoners, prisoners need mm -hmm. therapy. Moms with postpartum depression with little babies, they can't leave the house for an appointment. Exactly. Uh, couples that are in living in different locations. Right. Family members who are living mm -hmm. in different locations. Mm -hmm. People afraid of the stigma, as you said. Mm -hmm. uh, people who are not uh, as interested in therapy enough to go to an office, but are enough interested to chat online because mm -hmm. it's less of a commitment. Mm -hmm. so, you know, at least it would feel that way. There's also some distance in it. I think that feels safer for some people. Yeah. It could feel safer. Yeah. They get to stay in their pajamas and mm -hmm. their, uh, in their home and it's feels safer for anybody. Mm -hmm. People who travel a lot. Right. Um, and so for all those people in person, therapy might be difficult you know, it's something that we don't really think about, or at least I don't, maybe you do all the time, but, you know, when you have, say, cancer or something lesser, so if you have, say, I don't know, like a back problem, well, you probably only have to go to the chiropractor every now and then. And so scheduling those appointments is probably not going to be that much of a ordeal. But coming once a week for an hour to someone's office across town, you know, that's an ordeal. You mm -hmm. got traffic, you got to get babysitters, you got to, you know, get there. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's quite a commitment. Whereas if you just did it from your house, mm -hmm. you never left your house, it'd be a lot easier. Um, also, another benefit is that it provides access to rare specialists. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you are a trans teen that mm -hmm. has an eating disorder and you're looking for someone who specializes in trans teens with eating disorders because that's got to be a rare specialty. Mm -hmm. And there's someone in another state that it, that's all they do, mm -hmm. then uh, it makes sense that you would be able to do distance counseling with that person as opposed to just finding the nearest counselor to you and hope that they right. happen to know how to help you, which is, mm -hmm. uh, with eating disorders and with trans teens in particular, it's actually a rare uh, knowledge competency area. Um, and also I think as you were saying, it can, it can reduce the cost 
not only to the client, but to the therapist providing it because we don't have to have an office. Mm-hmm. We don't have to travel. We don't have to park, you know, right. all those kinds of things. You know, office space is, is expensive. That's the one of the sh- shocking things that I remember when I entered the field was just because I, I, I always thought of offices as like, oh, yeah, I just rent an office, no biggie. Mm-hmm. But then I realized, oh, an office, you're basically renting a small apartment. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a small in a in a very and usually offices are in very uh, high density areas, and so they're it's like renting a small apartment in the middle of downtown. You know, mm-hmm. and so so you know, obviously, right? Having a, a online practice, you wouldn't have to pay that cost. Uh, okay, so I want to go into some of the criticisms, but first, let's take a break. What do you say? Sure. Okay, we're back. If you haven't already become a patron of the podcast, do so. Go to patreon.com and become a patron of the podcast. When you become a patron, you get access to our premium episodes as well as uh, preferential treatment when it comes to emails and whatnot. And you might get some swag as well. All right, so Shannon, what are the criticisms of online therapy? We've talked a little bit about it, but what, what, what can we say regarding the criticisms, the legitimate criticisms? I think basically um, what you've already said about, is it effective? Are you missing um, the visual cues? Are you um, missing body language? Um, Things like that. Those are the biggest criticisms I hear. Yeah. Um, Some others that are more related to ethics are that some research has found that many online clinicians are not following the ethical guidelines mm-hmm. because it's a different delivery of counseling and therefore introduces a lot of ethical and legal issues that you would never face in person. Mm-hmm. And a lot of clinicians have been found to just not even know about mm-hmm. those issues and how to address them because there are ways to address them. It's uh, just starting to be regulated um, right. legally, right. of course. Right. Uh, one study found that physicians are tweeting uh, in a manner deemed unprofessional. <laughs> and so it's, it's along those lines of once the door to online counseling is opened, some clinicians don't know the boundaries mm-hmm. of what that means exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, just off the top of my head, someone might tweet a quote from a client, you know, a a client said that life is more than my anxiety or something. And, uh, although the clinician might be thinking they're being helpful and maybe they are, you basically just expose the entire world to patient health information, which is not only an ethical violation, but a HIPAA violation. Um, and so, uh, research has found that um, clinicians aren't always knowledgeable and ethical in that way. Also, another study found that 84% of therapists were commuting, uh, communicating with clients via email. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a big one. What? That's a big one. Right. And a non-encrypted email, uh, presumably, which is uh, a HIPAA violation and an ethical violation, um, according to some. So other criticisms are potential harm, uh, there's, as we were talking about earlier, a loss of nonverbal information, which can lead to misunderstanding, miscommunication, uh, inability to diagnose properly. Uh, sometimes people can seem harsher than in person. How do you deal with that? Like, 
how do you word things so that you don't miscommunicate what you mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm very clear about asking for feedback. And I also, I always let clients know, like, you know, in written form, it's, it can be very common to misunderstand each other. So let's always just feel very open about asking, is this what you meant? Um, so I think um, I, I tend to do a video session with my clients so that at the very beginning, so um, even if they're just wanting to do messaging for therapy, because we can get a sense of each other and how we talk and who we are as people. Um, and I find that they'll feel more comfortable saying, uh, you know, I'm not sure if this is what you meant. Um, right. so there's a lot more clarification that has to happen. Yeah, that makes sense. So in the beginning, you have a video at least so that they have this baseline trust that you're a caring, nice person. And mm-hmm. then when you send a, uh, a text or some kind of message, that seems questionable about your meaning, they'll Mm -hmm. be more likely to interpret it as a caring message as opposed Mm -hmm. to a harsh, uh, cold message, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But has that ever happened where someone has misunderstood you over text? Sure. And what kind of examples? Um, I mean, I haven't had any kind of egregious examples, but um, usually people are pretty, you know, like like we were saying, they'll say more in writing than they would to your face. Um, So people will say, you know, I'm not sure if this is what you meant, but this is how I took it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's nice because you have a chance to clarify or say, you know, that is how I meant it, actually. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely people, my clients anyway, seem to feel comfortable bringing up if there's any kind of misunderstanding. I don't have it happen all that often. Can you see how if someone, because you've been doing this for a while, mm-hmm. how long have you been doing this? Two and a half years. Can you see how someone who say, was extremely inexperienced just as a therapist, mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. They, they just graduated, mm-hmm. you know, it's their first month doing mm-hmm. online counseling. Can you see that it would be easier to make mistakes? Absolutely. Yeah. How mm-hmm. so? Well, I mean, it's just, a, it's a whole new way of doing therapy. And um, like, so where I work, we have a four week training program for new therapists because there's so many things to know and learn and be aware of. Um, Talkspace does four weeks. mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. So just to become a Talkspace provider, you have to go through four weeks of training. That's right. Four weeks of 40 hours. No, no. You're just part of a training group, Uh um, a small training group of 12 people and you have a trainer and every week there's topics and um, group discussion. And then there's also one-on-one weekly sessions with the trainer and hands-on training actually too. So they go through, it's a 90 minute, here's how you do like role play therapy with the trainer. Um, And, you know, they get feedback on that. Do they ever screen uh, providers out of the website? Like you're not good enough? Yes. (laughs) I mean, absolutely. The things we look for are, you know, if there's not empathic responses um, right. reflective statements, like you're not acknowledging what the client said. Um, you know, we basically the crux of our training program is to teach relationship building online. Yeah. You know, it kind of is the way the world is going, but, um, it's how to do it effectively as a therapist. We want to make sure it's clinically sound. So they're heavily evaluated. Yeah. Do you do that evaluation? Mm-hmm. Well, I oversee the trainers. You oversee the trainers. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So, you're the one who provides the training. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, well, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, also, another criticism or worry that people have about distance counseling is how to 
react in an emergency. Mm-hmm. If a client were to be imminently suicidal mm-hmm. or imminently homicidal, mm-hmm. or if they decompensate somehow, right? you won't know necessarily in session, or uh, if you don't have any things set up in terms of a proper crisis plan that's mm-hmm. that acknowledges the fact that they're not necessarily even in your region right then someone could die mm-hmm. and you don't have a have a way of of helping reduce those risks do you guys right. work with that on talks we do it happens um and you know all the therapists are responsible for collecting client emergency information um and the good thing is when often when people are suicidal, they will reach out um, and write and say, this is how I'm feeling. And the therapist can keep them talking. Um, and if not, then we, we send, we send help. How, how do you do that? Well, we send a, you know, people, we call the local authorities and send people out for a welfare check. Okay. Mm-hmm. What if they live in another country? Um, yeah, that can be tricky. Uh, but we have, um, ways to do that too. So we have their contact information. We have, we collect their emergency contact information and we also have their IP address. Um, and so, so up front, mm-hmm. so, uh, like the initial session, you'll get their emergency contact. Say they live in Uganda, mm-hmm. you gather their local emergency people. Correct. Okay. Do they have emergency services in these other countries uh, all the time? I haven't dealt with a company, a country like Uganda, but we had an incident in the UK last week and we're able to get somebody there. Oh, um, interesting. So, and, and so you would contact the, you know, equivalent of MHPs in their area or something or the nine one one. Right. Okay. Right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the recommendation now, but so, as long as you're smart about that. Mm-hmm. The thing I'll say about that is just because someone comes to my office doesn't necessarily mean that I'm able to do something about right. an emergency. So mm-hmm. having it be distance doesn't really change that. Mm-hmm. A client, what's the chance that a, the, a client is going to come to my office and tell me that they're about to kill themselves. It's right. more likely going to happen outside of that. Um, but having said that, you know, there are times when they actually do sit down and on my couch and actually tell me that, and I have all the procedures. Correct. So I guess you would just need to um, uh, do what you guys are doing, which is... Right. You have to have a protocol. From and, the beginning. You know, with all clients or just suicidal clients? Um, well, with, with all clients. I mean, it, it's... For me, I have one with all clients. But, um, but definitely, there's also a separate, you know, protocol for suicidal clients. And, you know, the ben- one benefit is I find that the therapist is in more frequent contact with people. So, you know, when you're talking to somebody on a daily basis, um, you know, you're more likely to hear about it, like, yeah. than if it's between sessions or something. Right. And potentially more likely to be able to provide a comforting word. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you also try to get in contact with their family members whoever they give us as emergency contact yeah mm-hmm. okay and and you might contact them as well yeah i mean if we can't reach them yeah and they won't contract for safety um or there's definitely you know imminent danger then you'll contact those emergency people mm-hmm. okay personally just this is me just how I would be if I was in a situation like that. If I, if I had someone who was suicidal and, you know, had 
concerning enough ideation, I would immediately ask for who they live with and I would immediately actually contact those people. And I would get consent, obviously, you know, is it mm-hmm. okay if I contact these people just for the purpose of mm-hmm. trying to keep you safe right. so that if there's a worry, I can immediately contact that person and tell them, look, this person, because one of the things that I do in in-person therapy is just this, and I find it to be extremely powerful to be able to call, for instance, their sister or their father and say, you know, so as we talked about before, if there's ever a significant risk of this person killing themselves, then I would contact you and you would just monitor them because the power of Mm -hmm. monitoring someone who has severe ideation is, is quite high in terms of reducing the risk of, of actually killing yourself. Right. Tapping into their support system is huge. Yeah. Support, but, but, but literal monitoring, meaning Mm -hmm. that person is in the room with the client, Mm -hmm. not just like checking in once Mm -hmm. a day. But because it's really hard to kill yourself when someone's standing right there. Plus, having someone standing right there just feels better. You know, right. just when your people are isolated, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to downward spiral. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, it's just sort of a secondary thing. Um, there are also concerns around legal issues regarding not following the laws of mm-hmm. the client's region. Mm-hmm. I remember it's now basically emerged that the the standard of care is you need to follow the laws of the region the therapist is in and the laws the client is in. Mm -hmm. I remember in the beginning of online counseling, say when I first came in contact with the practice of it, I don't know, like eight years ago or something, people were talking about, Oh no, no, you just need to follow your own laws that, that, Mm. that you're, 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 you're coming from because that's where the clinician is. And they were basically just saying that because they didn't want to have to deal with, learning the laws and regulations Mm -hmm. of different areas like Uganda or the UK Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. Florida or something. Right. Um, Do you guys deal with that in in Talkspace? Well, internationally, yes. Um, But otherwise, we only work with people in our state of licensure. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that was a way around it was like, well, an easier way around this is like, look, let's just stay with Mm -hmm. people in your own state and Mm -hmm. therefore... You don't have to deal with this jurisdiction problem. So all Talkspace people are 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 limited to people in their own state. Yes, interesting. And they follow that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because because I I would imagine that opening up the door would mm-hmm. make it a lot more easier to conduct the business, but well, so how it happens is, so someone comes to talk space for therapy and there's a consultation therapist who collects, does the intake and collects all their, you know, demographic information. And so they really, you have an intake person. Yes. Okay. And so then we, um, they only match them with a therapist in their state. Oh really? Mm -hmm. And is that a holdover from the old days when it was like unsure what the law was? And so it's like, well, let's just stay safe. No, for, um, you know, for the large majority of the company's existence, um, people were working with people all over the country. So this is a pretty new rule for us just beginning in September. How come? Um, well, partly because it's starting to get more regulated. Um, and you know, states like California and New York are very specific about it now. Right. Um, and you know, in my mind, the other states are just going to follow suit. Um, so getting ready for that plus, um, preparing to, uh, take insurance at some point. Um, oh, right. So, mm-hmm. so you'd have, to, well, would insurance care? Does insurance care? Well, they are wanting, uh, you know, the, if the states are starting to make that 
kind of a legal requirement, um, the insurance companies are going to care. Yeah, I remember hearing this. So, are you so New York and California state in the law that you can't provide distance counseling outside right. of the state? Right, and that's their uh, for their licensure um, kind of guidelines. So you can lose yeah. your license, right? If you, mm-hmm. yeah, but if you're not licensed, then you can. Well, you can't work there if you're not licensed. You can't, you can't work at Talkspace no. if you're not licensed. <laughs> no. Oh, really? You have to yeah. be licensed. Yes. Okay. And not just associates licensed, fully licensed. Oh, interesting. Uh huh. Interesting. Okay. Oh, associate license for those that don't know are people recently graduated. Um, usually, to become fully licensed, it's at least two years after graduation. Interesting. Wow, Talkspace really has it buttoned up. Uh, in We're working on it. That you don't need to necessarily, uh, but um, but I think that's forward thinking. Plus. If you have enough therapists in each state, then it doesn't really matter, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But I imagine being in like North Dakota, mm-hmm. you'd be bummed out because how many people want therapy in North? Or maybe it's actually the opposite. Maybe like right. because North Dakota has more stigma about therapy, there's more people interested in therapy online mm-hmm. uh, than say in the you know in Seattle or something. Right. Do you know right. any stats on that? Um, well, we have definitely have states like that we don't have um, enough therapists in, yeah. or enough clients in. And yeah. so, of course, you know, the marketing efforts are recruiting people for both of those sides of the equation. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Okay. So another criticism or worry is confidentiality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, someone could get, it, I'm guessing Talkspace doesn't do this, but if you were doing email just over your regular email, they could get a notification on their phone and then someone could walk by and see, you know, a conversation just on the notifications alone. Um, uh, the client might not be alone in the room mm-hmm. when they're talking to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's less of a problem if they were typing, but if it's video or, mm-hmm. or phone or something, mm-hmm. they might not be alone in the room. It's uh, something we definitely have to educate clients on. Okay. You know, we make sure we have that conversation up front just to help them understand how like, to keep, you Their should be alone confidential. And, yeah. You should not share with other mm-hmm. people. Okay. Um, someone can gain access to a client's email or a computer, mm-hmm. like a family member or an employer. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, I always laugh, but sometimes it's terrible when it happens, is there are some people that don't understand that a work email address is completely reviewable by pretty much anyone with the security clearance mm-hmm. that can view emails mm-hmm. uh, to all the IT people, your boss, you know, the president had, can just say, I want to see every single email that ex employee has sent and received. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that people just don't understand that mm-hmm. I, as a program director at my university, there are occasional legal problems and s- lawsuits and stuff. And it's come into sharp focus around that. It's just like, okay, so the lawyers are telling us that we have to hand over every single email that refers to this particular student. Mm-hmm. And it, and everyone's like, what? But I thought those conversations were just between me and this other instructor. And it's right. like, nope. nope. <laughs> you, if you used work email, then it's not. Right. And so along those lines, if a client were to use you know, a computer or an email account that wasn't entirely theirs, then someone could gain access to that information and and it could absolutely harm them, you know? Mm -hmm. 
So there's that. We don't have, um, the way I work anyways, we don't have any kind of, there's nothing in email. You have to go to the Talkspace site. Right. And sign communicate in. And, and that's all encrypted. Right. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, also, there's a risk. Well, uh, let's go on at the risk after we take a break. What do you say, Shannon? Sure. Okay. We're back. Uh, just continue on some of the confidentiality issues. Someone could pose as the client, which I don't imagine is very likely to happen. But if, mm-hmm. for, for instance, with Talkspace, someone left their account open on their computer, mm-hmm. they walk away, mm-hmm. their spouse or their you know, evil twin sits down and just starts chatting, there would be no way to know if this person was who right. they were, right? Right. So that's a risk. It's interesting because California now requires um, the therapist to get some sort of identifier every time they talk. Right. <laughs> so Every time. Yeah. Right. And we'll get into more of that in another episode regarding the MFT uh, ethical guidelines, but you guys don't do that for every session. No. Yeah. Do you, oh, well, the California therapists do. California therapists. <laughs> um, how do you authenticate, uh, authenticate someone's identity though? It just seems like it'd be hard. Well, you can use a code word. Okay. But um, what if they give out their code? Word? Right. Right. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's tricky for sure. Yeah. It's something we have to figure out. Yeah. Again, I can't imagine that happening very often, but mm-hmm. but I can see it happening, for instance, in a domestic violence situation right. mm-hmm. or in a situation where you had a teenager who was extremely defiant. Um, you know, I, I can I can absolutely see it see it happening. As a therapist, I would probably want some way of being able to authenticate who this person was just because I'd be a little worried about having a conversation with somebody. Maybe Talkspace can develop some kind of Snapchat situation Mm -hmm. where you just take an instant time verified picture Mm -hmm. of yourself, just your face and just be like, okay, well that's the person, you know, maybe there's some, yeah, not a bad idea, some kind of, or a thumbprint authentication, mm-hmm. you know, cause a lot of phones have those thumbprint things. Right. Now. Um, just seems like technology could be developed to make it easier right. so that you're not using code words. It just code right. words. Yeah. Seem, cause, yeah. cause if, if they've gained access to the Talkspace account, they might. they've already gotten <laughs> yeah. past, you know, the password problem. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these are um, things we're always working on. So definitely, as we're learning from these different states about things that are being required, you know, that goes in the queue for something to be working on. Right. When is online counseling not appropriate? Is there any uh, presenting problems where it's not likely to be appropriate? Well, I mean, we definitely, we do work with a lot of people with personality disorders. Um, you mentioned earlier that you can't, it's hard to imagine how that would work. Um, but when people need, um, there's definitely times when people need to be hospitalized. Um, and so we'll refer them to a higher level of care. So, um, so, but that's heavily depressed. Correct. And, and that's the same with face to face. I mean, you know, in your private practice. So, right. Yeah. In private practice, you wouldn't want to be alone. Yeah. Uh, doing, being the only clinician for the people like that. Okay. I could imagine manic people, Bipolar people's, you know, more symptomatic, not being um, people that need medication. Okay, you know, really, but you can also be part of a treatment team, you know. Yeah. And so, if, if people are under psychiatric care, 
um, you can get consent and work with that team. So, okay. Do you ever get weird reactions from collateral contacts like physicians and stuff saying you're an online therapist and working with my client? That doesn't seem right. I haven't so far, but I'm sure it's happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, in talking with you today, Shannon, realized that I'm a little backward when it comes to the attitudes about online counseling. But on the scale of things, I'm way less backward than the vast majority of people in our, mm-hmm. in our field. Yeah. So the, I'm just guessing the amount of weird looks you get from people mm-hmm. um, must be... Well, recently I went to a, an, a legal and ethics CEU course. Yeah. And so, you know, there, were, there was a question at the beginning, like, what do people want to cover today? And I said, online counseling. And everyone was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> this is kind of a low grumble in the room. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I we find, have a ways to go. Yeah. I find that people essentially, because they don't know what something is, they just have this this general um, distaste for something. And when I confront, and this is not just online counseling, it's a lot of different things. Like having a home office, I, my, mm-hmm. I see my clients in my home. It's similar to that. And, mm-hmm. and as an ethics expert myself and as a professor, I, will, I have the confidence to just, to just look at the person and say, what are your concerns? Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be happy to hear any research or mm-hmm. any actual concerns you have about that. And inevitably, they don't have any, really, mm-hmm. because they haven't thought about it much, and or they're or they believe in these really strange myths, essentially. Mm-hmm. And and I realized in my conversation with you, Shannon, that I think I'm uh, I'm victim of that when it comes to online counseling because I just I just don't do it, and I have a lot of contact with it. But you know, you've you've changed my mind about a couple things. Um. But yeah, I, I would I would guess that if you did a poll, particularly of older therapists, that ninety nine percent of them would say, or ninety percent of them would say that online counseling is inherently unethical and, mm-hmm. and inherently ineffective because of it's um, like <laughs> I, I, I it reminds me of I remember uh, this was not too long ago, but it wasn't recent. I was in a room full of other professors, mainly older professors, therapists, ethics experts, presumably. And someone said something. This, I guess this would have been like 2010 or something. And someone said something like, well, I heard that so-and-so has a Facebook account. And like the and gasp, <gasps> right? As a therapist, she has a that is not ethical. And I remember just being like looking around the room, going, "Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, you can't even have an, a Facebook account if you're a therapist." That that was what mm-hmm. was everyone apparently agreed with in the room was mm-hmm. like, if you have a Facebook account, you are unethical. And Facebook from the beginning has had privacy settings. Mm-hmm. Um, or just don't post particular sorts of things, even if it was completely public. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, so I, I'm sure you have to be extremely patient with a lot of people. So did they eventually talk about online counseling in that training? No, session? they never did. Yeah. I bet you, <laughs> I bet you the trainer was just like, Oh, I'm not going there. I'm not getting into that one. Yeah. Which is funny because in an ethics training seminar, that presumably was all day long. Mm-hmm. 
you would think you could have at least 10 minutes on online counseling. Right. And I actually thought that they would love to talk about it because right. I thought they were just kind of kind of bash it. And I was oh. hoping to have, you know, a chance to talk about it, too. Oh. Um, I, I really thought they would like to talk about it because I feel like it's something that's so controversial. But you like to shoot everyone's. Brain. Well, yeah, just I I thought I wanted to hear what people had to say. And um, I wanted to hear what this ethics expert had to say about it. Mm-hmm. And they never, never <laughs> dealt with it. <laughs> it's sort of like uh, reminds me I was recently at a supervision training uh, class. Mm hmm you know, CEU continue. You have to have continuing it as a, as a supervisor and similar thing. What would you like to talk about today? And I said that I wanted to talk about attachment in supervision and a very similar reaction of everyone just kind of looking at like, um, and then the trainer like, Oh, and this is like one of the, one of the national experts on supervision and has been for, I won't say her name. She's actually sort of famous, but they, everyone said, uh, one person kind of nodded her head like, oh yeah, that might be kind of interesting to talk about. Mm-hmm. To me, attachment in the supervision relationship is one of the most important things to consider. If a supervisee doesn't feel like like you care or mm-hmm. that you have their best interest in heart or that they can trust you or that they feel safe around you. All that has to do right, with attachment. Right. And to just, and for that topic to be looked at like, Oh, that's a new one. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't thought about that before, you know? And because inevitably these, these trainings, it all comes down to like nuts and bolts mm-hmm. stuff, you know, like right. what kind of contract should you have? Mm-hmm. And, how do you bill people mm-hmm. and, you know, just shit like that. It's like, okay, fine. But the, the central feature of a supervisory uh, experience is the attachment. Is right, the feeling, relationship. Yeah, the feeling of safety, the, the feeling that your supervisor has your back and will go to bat for you. And developing that is, you know, just crucial. And just to have it to be looked at like, oh, that's a strange topic. And, of course, they never talked about it. Okay. Well, uh, so recommendations based on what we've been talking about that I have, and you tell me, Shannon, since you're a bigger expert than I am, if any of this makes sense, is people need training. Yes, absolutely. People need to be competent along those lines. Mm -hmm. Training doesn't necessarily mean competent. Mm -hmm. They need uh, to get informed consent from your client. Yes, you got to tell your client, look, this is what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. This is what it's going to look like. Um, I am not available 24-7, but I am available. I'll check my email once a day during Monday through Friday. What do you tell right. people Absolutely. about that? Well, definitely. I mean, that's part of you know helping them understand what it's like, too. This is new for most people. Yeah. So um, setting up those expectations. I tell them, you know, I, I check in twice a day, Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we'll... Meaning you check into Talkspace to see if you have any new messages. Uh-huh. And then you always respond. Mm-hmm. So another question I have for you is, Is this uh, does this make you enough money given the amount of time expenditure that, mm-hmm. you, that mm-hmm. you put into it? Well, you definitely get better at it. So when I started, I would have to spend a lot more time responding yeah. to people. I remember that because I remember... <laughs> do you remember telling me this in the beginning? Yes. You, you were telling me like, I kind of like this online therapy stuff, but... 
I think it actually works out to be not that many not that much money per hour because right. I'm spending all day, <laughs> right. you know, responding to people. Yeah, yeah. But but you get better. As you, you get, get better get, at that. Yeah. What do you mean better? Like, um, well, just even more efficient, and also your relationship is built. So now I have clients that I've had for over two years. It's much easier to respond to them. You know, we have a relationship in place. So, so meaning easier, meaning you don't have to think as much. Well, I do think as much, and I process what they're saying, and maybe they they still like I have um you know lots of people that write every day a lot to me. Um, and you have to comprehend all that and synthesize it and all of that. But um, since we have the relationship in place, um, I'm not having to spend so much time clarifying um, my my thoughts. Like I can respond in my normal human voice and know that they're going to understand. Yeah. Also, I know the backstory. So I and I, it's easier to find, co- you know, threads and make connections and things when you know, two years of their life. Right. How do you keep them straight? Because mm-hmm. With that, for me, because I, I, with my podcast, with this podcast, we're on the podcast right, right. now. We're not just having a conversation. <laughs> uh, e- people will email me and someone will say something like, as we talked about before, blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, I have no memory of who this person was mm-hmm. because I don't have a face. Mm-hmm. If I don't have a face, then mm-hmm. you're just, I mean, maybe I'll remember by name, but usually, usually I don't. It's like, I, but if I, but if I see a face, I will never forget you. Oh, okay. I see people 30 years later and I go, I, I went to middle school with that kid. And you remember their name and everything? No. Oh. I won't remember the their face. name, but, but I'll remember their face <laughs> and I'll remember everything about them, mm-hmm. but just not their name. Same with clients. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I might see a client on the street and I'll be like, oh, I remember that person's face. I remember their entire history, their but I, but not necessarily their name. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just something about me and names, but. How do you keep everyone straight? Well, we have the advantage of having the all the historical conversation in the room. Yeah. So I can see what we talked about last time. and it's Oh, easy. you can scroll up. Yes. Oh, yes. interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yes. That probably makes it easier. Yes. Because you essentially have this exact record <laughs> that's exactly. easily scrollable and just be like, who is this person? Oh, yeah, that's right. Da, 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 da. right. I don't know. I would still want like a picture or a video, like you talk with people video first. I, I guess I would want the video thing, even if it was just for a few minutes, like once every couple, couple yeah. of weeks. And you can something. do that. We have that feature. You can send video messages, you can send audio messages. So it, you know, it's just like you're building that relationship and I, I know what they look like and we do, we'll exchange video messages sometimes, you know, if you're in a hurry or you're driving, they'll leave audio. Yeah. So you kind of get to know them just like you do your clients. And though, you know, I can't remember anything in my personal life. I seem to remember all the details about my clients. <laughs> right. Right. So other recommendations are, uh, again, informed consent, making sure that that's all super buttoned up, uh, referring when necessary. Uh, don't let the work destroy you is probably... You, we haven't talked about, we've sort of alluded to that in terms of like, I could imagine some of the people who started Talkspace and aren't used to how to establish boundaries right? might end up working 24-7, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. obsessing, worrying mm-hmm. about clients, yes. getting a, a, you know, a notification, because I'm guessing you get notifications on the weekend that someone contacted you. Right. But you, by policy, will wait until Monday to respond. Right. So policy, for yeah. some people, they probably have a harder time with that boundary. 
Right. And it would like destroy their lives to mm-hmm. be in constant contact. It's a, it's something that, you know, definitely depends on therapist personality, but also it's something that you get better at. When I first started, I was like that too. You know, I just responded night and day, night and day. Okay. And you know, even now if I have a client that's really struggling or in crisis, I will respond on the weekend. Okay. Um, so in terms of general income, mm-hmm. what can people expect after a couple of years of experience? Mm-hmm. Well, the way we're paid is we're paid um, 50% of the subscription cost. And there's different types of subscriptions. Some with video, some without. Um, couples subscriptions are more expensive. Um, and so, you know, it just it depends on how many clients you have. And I think at my at my height, I had 70 clients. Um, and not, not everybody's writing every day. And some of those were just once a week videos. Some of those are, you know, about half or kind of I'm writing to and, and so it's, it's subscription. It's not uh-huh. per communication. Correct. Cause some sites I think are per communication or per mm-hmm. minute or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is your only option is to sign up for a monthly subscription right. at a level that they want. Right. And then you get 50% of that. Mm-hmm. And how much is a subscription? So um, the lowest level, they range from like 129 a month to, you know, I want to say, I think it's 189 for couples. Wow. That's actually more than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still a cost savings to people. Right. To clients. Mm-hmm. So you would get 65 mm-hmm. per client. Right. And be responding to them twice a day, five days a week. So if you had, when you had 70, just working mm-hmm. off this model, mm-hmm. when you had 70 clients, that would be probably about 5,000, 6,000 gross. Right. Before taxes. Mm-hmm. And you're working 40 hours a week? Yeah. I mean, I, I tried to keep pretty healthy boundaries. So definitely 40 hours a week. Definitely meaning at least? At least. Or, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Probably so, 40 to 50. Okay. 40 to 50, 6,000 um, uh, a month, 70,000 a year. Yeah. That's just, that's a, you know, a good pay for a therapist. And the benefit is don't have to pay for an office. Uh, so you save money there. Also, there's like, I mean, the convenience of it. Yeah. Um but also the community. So the, ther- the therapist community there, there's tons of support. And that's something that, you know, I think being a therapist, you can be kind of isolated sometimes. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's clinical consult groups that everybody's a part of, and there's discussions that are going on in those every day. Yeah. Um, so that for me has been a huge benefit. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And uh, what's the likelihood that, you know, someone goes through the training, they're an average talented therapist, Mm -hmm. what's the typical trajectory of their caseload? Uh, It just, it's different for everybody because some people are just supplementing their face to face practice. Some people are wanting to do it full time. Um, so yeah, it's different for everybody. It's interesting. I guess you'd have to be really amenable to working on the computer all day Mm -hmm. because it's completely different. It is feel. You it know, is. Uh, you have to you have to be one of those people that's comfortable on the computer all day. Yes, or at least part part of the day. Mm-hmm. And for some people, they they wouldn't like that. Right. It would it would drag them down. Right. You know, just like 
I can't stand looking at the computer for another hour. You know, I need, whereas, and the opposite can be true too, as well as I know some therapists that would actually really prefer computer over in person, Mm -hmm. not because they don't like people in person, but it just, um, is a different kind of, like I said, different kind of feel, you know? Sure. Um, Okay, well, let's take another break, and then let's wrap this up. What do you say? Sure. Okay, we're back. So, again, if you haven't become a patron of the podcast, go to patreon.com. It's much less expensive than 129 a month. Yes. As it is on Talkspace. It's and only... you get a coffee mug sometimes. And you get a coffee mug sometimes. Like, you, you're, you're a coffee mug subscriber. I have a coffee yeah. mug. Yeah. What would you think of the coffee mug? Oh, it's just a fun little surprise <laughs> in the mail. <laughs> um. So, yeah, uh, I, I can imagine that because it's, it's actually the same as in-person therapy in terms of marketing yourself and trying mm-hmm. to get as many clients as possible. The way that it is today is m- most people will at least look at your picture online to see what you look like. Right. And I know people that are, you know, unabashedly will say, that person looks like not an empathic person. Mm-hmm. And that person looks like a very caring person. Mm-hmm. And pictures don't necessarily com- are accurate of of that uh, right. of that reality. But do Talkspace people talk about that reality? We haven't talked about it, but you know, as you know, I used to work in technology and was part of many user studies. And th- the finding is definitely that if you have a, a good picture, you're going to be more successful at getting clients. Right. You used to work specifically with websites, right. for small businesses. Yes. Yeah, and so. Essentially, that's what this is. Right. So on Talkspace, you create a profile mm-hmm. and you create a picture and maybe you can add a video mm-hmm. and, a, and you provide script of, of Right. They what, can see what you look like. Right. And, but they don't get to pick you at this point. You know, that, like the, you? No, the consultation therapist is matching. Oh. Right, right. Yeah. Really? Yeah. But we're moving to a different model. And so soon they will have a choice of like, here's your three therapists that match what you came here for. And so go ahead and you can pick one. So interesting. That will um, definitely be interesting to see how that. So the way that it is now is you're just stuck with whoever you get. And if you don't like them, you can switch. As the client, you mean? Yeah. Yes. Okay. But in the future, you're going to get like a choice. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. And does the intake person try to spread it around a little bit? Kind of like, oh, this person is a little low. So it's not really up to them um, in that way. What happens is there's an algorithm that says who's available. Uh-huh. And so then they post it on this channel. Uh-huh. And then who, whoever gets to it first, the uh-huh. therapist can say, I can work with and I can help this client. Uh, and so then they get it first. Interesting. So, so they'll post it to everybody in Washington State. Something comes up. So my name will be there and... I don't have any capacity, so I don't take the client, but someone else from Washington does. Right. Interesting. Because mm-hmm. you have to have the right competency, too. Um, so you, you demonstrate so, that you have competency for, you, for yourself, for instance, in couples therapy, and therefore, mm-hmm. if someone's looking for couples therapy, then mm-hmm. you'll pop up in the algorithm. Right. So there's a way in our account settings to say what our competencies are. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So presumably, if you had your profile set up right, you would get the same opportunity as anybody else, even if your profile picture was terrible. Right. (laughs) At this point, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But in the future, you're going to give them a a few names. Yes. Uh, Presumably people that actually respond to the algorithm, the first three people or something, Mm -hmm. they'll get those names or something Mm -hmm. like that. Yes. Interesting. 
they'll be able to see the person's picture, the like their client reviews. Um, yeah. Oh, comment. client reviews. Yeah. Interesting. That that is actually, yeah, that's actually a huge benefit to this because how often do you get to read the reviews of a therapist? Mm-hmm. It's 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 one of those things that I find to be just terrible about our current situation. You go to a restaurant and on Yelp, you can read hundreds of mm-hmm. reviews. You go to the bowling alley. And you go on Yelp, and you can read hundreds of reviews. You go to a therapist or a physician, uh, but particularly therapists, and you won't find a single review of that person. Right. Or one bad review from someone who was disgruntled yeah. and didn't like the therapy. And then- Right. Incidentally, I do have one good review on Yelp mm-hmm. from somebody, but... It's just not in the culture to review your therapist. Right, right. Well, because people, again, they don't want it to be known out there that they learn therapy. I, I mean, think I think that's part of it, but I also just think it's just not the culture because I, yeah. I know clients who could care less. I mean, I know clients when I see them in the mall will scream at me from across the mall. Yeah, that's true. That's my therapist. You know, <laughs> they don't care. Yeah, well, there's know? no stigma in Seattle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so... Uh, there, so yeah, I can see that being a huge benefit to Talkspace mm-hmm. is being able to read people's response, you know, reviews and and seeing, oh, okay, that person, you know, the way that this person's being reviewed sounds like a good match for me. Interesting. Um, also, just other recommendations. Just make sure you you know how to use technology. I know that sounds kind of stupid, but uh, the they're depending if you're using Talkspace, I'm imagining they walk you through that, but. If you're doing some other kind of platform or mm-hmm. you're just doing Skype, uh, Skype can be pretty weird sometimes. And so you just have to make sure you understand how to use it. Like I still can't figure out on Skype how to make it make a noise when someone calls me. When oh. someone calls me on Skype, I, it, it make, there's this tiny little icon that like jiggles oh, okay. in the upper left. Uh-huh. And if I'm not staring right at that oh. point, like I won't know if someone's calling me. That's funny. Yeah, it's your computer setting maybe. But I've looked deep in the <laughs> options of like send a ringtone when someone calls, and it's not happening. Yeah, I've looked at it like five times. Um, and I mean, I only use Skype for one purpose, and that's to talk with Rebecca Bloom for the podcast. So I don't really care that much. But anyway, um, also another thing I want to ask you about is, uh, which is, I'll just say the recommendation, and you can tell me what you think is. A lot of people are calling online counseling to be psychoeducation or coaching when it's actually mm-hmm. therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find that it's because people want to avoid the legal and ethical implications of calling it counseling or therapy. And they're basically lying or deceiving just so that they can avoid um, you know, the consequences. Um, what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I... Can't speak to that. I, I'm sure people do it. Um, yeah. Do you, do you run into that on Talkspace at all, like with people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah, I mean, it's it's if people don't know, uh, if you call it psychoeducation, it, it's believed. I actually doubt whether or not this would hold up if you actually had a you know a legal hearing or an ethical complaint. But it's believed that if you call it psychoeducation or coaching, even though you're a licensed therapist or counselor you are immune to being uh, responsible for things like informed consent or even confidentiality or standard of care. But you're not. 
because because coaching and psycho mm-hmm. and coaching in particular as a field, but psychoed just as you know, you're just providing education. Uh, there are instances where you're not actually responsible. For instance, if I or you were to teach a class on anger management to people mm-hmm. in the community mm-hmm. and you just said, hey, show up from seven to nine on Tuesday night. People walk in the door, you teach this class on your anger management. You don't even know that you don't even know these people's names. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't need to do an informed consent. You don't need them to sign a disclosure statement because you're just providing an education service and everyone understands mm-hmm. you're not their therapist. You're you're teaching a class even though you happen to be a therapist. Mm-hmm. It's the same with this with this podcast. I'm a therapist. People come here, you know, listen to the podcast for various reasons. Everyone understands this is not therapy. It's, right. a, it's a stupid podcast. And so uh, there, and so because of that, I don't have to get all my podcast listeners to listen to sign a disclosure statement, and I don't have to monitor them the way mm-hmm. I do with my clients. And so with online counseling, people will sometimes avoid all that just by saying it's psychoed or, or coaching, um, which – uh, your opinion about that is well, I feel a little judgmental about it. That it's that it's that it's, <laughs> it's uh, not the right thing to do, right? And they, in my mind, you're still um, held to the standards of your license, right? So. I'm glad you think that because well, I had the best supervisor. Ah, <laughs> so I want to talk about this this uh, online author blogger guy called Todd Essig. Okay, have you heard of him? Yes. Okay. I thought you might have because he has a thing against Talkspace. Yes. So a couple of his articles didn't make any sense to me. Like he had one article on uh, how Talkspace doesn't have any effectiveness or something. And he was – his article just didn't convince me. Mm -hmm. There's there's plenty of studies that demonstrate that online counseling can be helpful. Mm -hmm. I mean empirical – it's actually an easy thing to study. You just have to right. conduct online counseling and provide in-person counseling and then have a control group with no counseling and just right. compare outcomes. It's not hard to do, and they've mm-hmm. done it many times and found that online counseling can be effective. Um, but anyway, one article that I did find to be interesting was – and I didn't actually know you're actually like an employee of Talkspace essentially, right? Right. Well, I'm, a, I'm not an employee. I'm a contractor. Or a contracted mm-hmm. trainer. Or mm-hmm. something, or supervisor, right? Contracted supervisor. Well, not a, super, a supervisor of the trainers. <laughs> supervisor of the trainers. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so maybe you'll, you know, I don't know, have something to say about this, but because I didn't even know you worked for Talkspace uh, before we talked today, um, or at least I didn't remember. But he wrote an article that I thought was interesting. Just this past August, 2016. He said, and this is, I'm kind of paraphrasing him, but he said, a Talkspace therapist filed a HIPAA complaint against Talkspace. She accused, the therapist accused Talkspace of a breach in clinical confidentiality. I didn't really know that the article didn't go into, do you know this case? Yes. What was the breach in confidentiality? Because the article didn't discuss it at all. Well, um, the story that Todd Essick wrote isn't entirely accurate. Um, what happened was that a therapist um, who was having clients leave pretty fast after joining her um, was offered coaching help by another licensed therapist at Talkspace, which is something that we do. We we always offer to help therapists. So um, a, a therapist, her clients were terminating faster than what would be normal correct. for other therapists and your team looked at that or a team at Talkspace looked at that and right. said, Oh, maybe this therapist needs some help with how they're providing their services. 
so that the clients aren't terminating so quickly. That's exactly right. And so a, a supervisor or someone who does that sort of thing reached out to her mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. said, "Right, another licensed therapist um, offered uh, who, who offers coaching to therapists on the platform um, said, "Hey, you know, do you want some help with this? And do you want to talk through some of your cases? And um, as part of that, uh, if you like, you can share." Um, you know, get consent from your clients and, and share some of the dialogue so we can take a look at what might be happening and your engagement and rapport. Um, and so she um, took that to mean that we were going to look in the room yeah. um, and went and wrote to all her clients that their confidentiali- confidentiality had been violated. Even though it hadn't yet. It hadn't, right. And if you were going to look in the, you say look in the room, but mm-hmm. you're going to look review at the, review the, the transcript, the, basically. Yeah. You would have gained consent from the client. Absolutely. For that particular coach to actually review it. That's right. And, um, just like we do all the time in this profession, we do, you know, professional consult with other therapists, but we always get consent. That's right. So she was either misinformed, mis- she, she either misunderstood what was told her or she just was upset about something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not, I don't work for Talkspace, so I can speculate, which I'm guessing you shouldn't do or won't do. Uh, I would imagine that, okay, I'm a therapist. I'm on Talkspace. I'm probably not that experienced. I'm not that secure in my abilities as a therapist. Because I'm guessing a lot of the Talkspace therapists tend to be younger and more amenable to to technology and whatnot. Um, probably a lot of starting out people. Um, I'm guessing you have a lot of experienced people as well, but, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, so I'm just imagining a profile of someone who isn't super secure in their abilities as a therapist, mm-hmm. again, just speculation. And, um, I'm actually having a lot of clients turned off by me and they don't like me and they, they, right. they, they terminate. So that quick. feels bad. That feels bad. And yeah. it's just like, Oh my God, how, what's wrong with me as a therapist that I can't keep these clients engaged. And then the, upper admin of Talkspace contacts me and says, you're one of our least performing therapists. I mean, you know, that's not the wording, but of course that's the implication of just like you are, uh, you you know, you're such a bad therapist that, you know, you're now getting uh, this email from someone saying that you need someone to look at what you're doing more insecurity. Now you're thinking about someone looking in on your sessions to scrutinize your, your every move experience that now at this point, experienced therapists would get a little worried just because you're opening up your vulnerability to someone that you don't even know. You know, presumably this therapist didn't even know the person who was going to review and didn't have a trusting relationship with that person. Like we were talking about in terms of attachment and supervision. And so that engages, you know, she starts to kind of freak out naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead of like doing something functional, like, yeah, okay. Well, could I talk with this person to kind of get to know them? And can I provide some explanation as to, you know, I, yeah, I want to get better and um, any feedback would be great. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, just like, because all therapists, we've been there. Mm-hmm. We've all been scrutinized. We've all been observed. We've all been scared of that observation. And so, but instead, she gets defensive and angry and she decides to, she probably decided she was going to quit right there. She's like, screw this talk space stuff. I'm done with it. And, um, probably again, pure speculation decides to, um, get revenge somehow by telling all her clients about how bad talk space is or something, you know? Right. Right. Um, and so, uh, then tells all the, again, 
pure speculation. Mm-hmm. But uh, that reading between the lines, it 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 feels that way to me because there's so many other ways she could have done it. You know, her her the talk space reached out to her and says, you know, you're underperforming, and you know, we'd love to help you out. Um, she, you know, she could have said like, mm, maybe this talk space thing isn't the best for me. Uh, you know what? I think I'm just going to transfer my clients and, and I'm going to move on. I'm sure that probably happens mm-hmm. to some people. Mm-hmm. Um, but this like telling your clients that talk space is like unethical and breaking confidentiality just feels like a, like a vengeful, right. angry act. Right. You know? Cause I will say that most people, I mean, you, you're probably onto something uh, with your speculation about her feeling insecure about it. Uh, the way we approach it is basically, you know, we're here to support you and yeah. we see that you're, we don't say you're underperforming. We say your clients are late. We notice your clients are leaving fast. Yeah. You know, would you like some support? Would you like some help? And by and large, most therapists are really into it, and they yeah. love that actually, yeah, right. um, because they want to give good helps. They want to know. They want to know what's getting in the way of that. Yeah. Um, so, right, she had a different reaction, right. and so she she had eighteen clients. Um, now, in the Todd Essex piece, that whole process is not discussed. Uh, I, I'm guessing for a reason because that's what I thought was weird about the article by Essig is like. Okay, her initial complaint was she accused Talkspace of a breach in, in confidentiality. Why doesn't the article discuss what that breach in confidentiality mm-hmm. was? Mm-hmm. And it's now, not the whole story. Now I'm guessing it's because if if the whole story was explained, it would make the you know this therapist not look very good because there right. wasn't a breach in confidentiality. She was she was only um, she was I don't know for whatever reason saying right. that. Um, so then the article goes goes on to say, tell me if this is your understanding. She resigned from Talkspace. And she gave her clients two weeks' notice so that they could say goodbye and transfer to another therapist. And a couple days later, the Talkspace vice president sent an email to the 18 clients telling the clients that the therapist had been immediately banned from the site and banned from communicating with the clients because the therapist had made a HIPAA HIPAA complaint. And uh, do you know anything about that? that stage of this situation? Uh, I know a little bit about it. I don't know that that's what the the email said. Um, But uh, I do know that she filed a HIPAA complaint and, you know, wrote in all the rooms and upset the clients saying that their confidentiality had been violated when it hadn't. Right. But you don't know, I'm guessing the exact sequence of, you know, what happened from that point forward. The allegation is that Talkspace immediately banned her, uh, this therapist from the site, preventing her from saying goodbye to her clients and transitioning them, which we can absolutely, if that's true, is not good right. client care. Well, we, we always, we always um, give time for them to properly terminate. Right. And I don't know what happened in that case. But again, I don't work for Talkspace. I can speculate. Talkspace vice president, my guess was not thinking straight as a result of being... Um, in a state of uh, worrying about the PR involved and might have taken action a little too hastily to, you know, ban this therapist from the site, maybe hoping to prevent further communication between this therapist and these clients. I don't know, but again, we were getting client complaints. I mean, she was putting them kind of in a, a, tough position because now they're worried and they're emailing customer service and which if you're Nordstrom, great. But when you're talking about a clinician and her patients, Mm -hmm. it's a different situation Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, we're, we're getting complaints about her, 
but we can't prevent a clinician from talk. If, you know, if this was a salesperson at Nordstrom, mm-hmm. you absolutely can immediately, you know, ban communication between these two people. But when you're talking about proper clinical termination, it's more sensitive. Um, and also, according to this uh, article by Essig, uh, the Talkspace vice president sent an email to all 18 clients without blinding the emails. So each client got to see all the other clients that were being seen by this particular therapist, which is understandably uh, upsetting to the clients and uh, another clear breach of confidentiality. So um, any comment on that? Yes, that happened. It was a mistake. We owned it. And it's bad. It won't happen again. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know if this is, you know, possible for you, but what's the background on that? I mean, because is it just that the VP of Talkspace that was communicating is just really stupid about email or, no, no. or just had a brain fart or what happened? There? No, not at all. Um, it, it was, you know, she was rushing to reassure people. Okay. That's all it was. Brain fart. Brain fart, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Just a mistake. Uh, mistake. Yeah. So, you know, and, There are therapists that do this too. I mean, people are generally not very smart about blind copying Mm -hmm. people. As a program director, I will frequently have to send emails to hundreds of people, students and other kinds of people. And I always blind it um, because you, I mean, we, there's confidentiality for educators called FERPA, Mm -hmm. which is different from HIPAA, but Students have confidentiality as well. And so, um, anyway. Um, Okay. So, um, let's get off Talkspace. I want to talk a little bit about uh, another site that I looked into a while ago called Live Person. You didn't know about it when we talked about it earlier. But um, I about six years ago or something, I looked into the online counseling because I just wanted to know more about it. And... Uh, I and it really turned me around. At at first, I was you know, I would say mostly skeptical. But after looking into it, I was like, oh, okay, I, c- I could see this actually working for people. Uh, I apparently had more work to do, and because of my conversation with you today, I feel like I went further down the road. But at the time, I decided, well, what's really happening at these websites? You know, what's what's actually happening? Mm-hmm. And so I joined this LivePerson dot com, which was a as I said earlier, a website that connected people with any kind of professional, a lawyer, doctor, therapist, plumber, anybody. And um, so it wasn't specifically set up for therapy. So that's just something to think about. But I read through the entire terms and conditions. Which wow. Was, yeah. <laughs> uh, which was extremely long. And I pulled out a couple of things that uh, were in there that I think are still present in um in sites like Talkspace actually. Um for instance, uh one of the lines it says the clinicians are not providing psychotherapy. Quote, you will advise members, you know, consumers, that your advice is for information purposes only. For instance, uh similarly on Talkspace, I found it says that if I correct me if I'm wrong, 
it says that the content offered is for informational and educational purposes only and not for treatment or diagnosis. Do you know that? I can't speak to that. Okay. It wouldn't make any sense given your experience, right? Because it is therapy on Talkspace, right? But again, that's from Todd Essig, so who knows if he's being truthful about that or not. But anyway, that the you know because legal will try to avoid legal problems, they want to say, well, look, this is just a website. It's not real therapy. It's not real counseling. Mm-hmm. And so, again, speculation, but I think pretty pretty likely the le- the legal team is like, well, we can avoid a lot of lawsuits. If we just say, look, this is education, it's not real therapy. Mm-hmm. And you could absolutely imagine them including a clause like that in the terms and conditions in which the therapist and the or the patients, but and the therapist agree to, you know, that that, the, you know, you I said I read the whole thing. You're like, whoa, yeah, you know, long. no one ever reads those things. No, they're they're long, you know, and not written easily to be understood. So um, so anyway, I just some advice to you, I would look into that because, um, uh, and to anyone doing online counseling is whatever platform you're working on, I would make sure that it's not said or that you're consistent with what's being said at the terms and conditions, I guess, or you override it with a disclosure statement. You know, like you say, even though on the terms and conditions, it says this is information only, I'm telling you this is actual therapy and I need you to sign on the dotted line. Do you guys have additional disclosures that you send, or do you just depend on Talkspace to provide all those disclosures? Uh, we use the informed consent provided by Talkspace. So you have like a therapy, mm-hmm. in, like a traditional informed consent sort Correct. of thing? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, on li- so again, this is just live person. Um, the exchange of personal inf- of information is strictly prohibited. So uh, is that true on Talkspace as well, that you can't exchange like um, – contact information that's not true on okay. Talkspace. okay but how do you prevent people from just like connecting with someone and then saying well let's just do over email mm-hmm. and then you won't have to pay the subscription and then i'll right. get all the fee as the right. therapist you know what i'm saying right yeah you can't you can't prevent it you can't prevent it right so it just happens sometimes can you have you heard of such a thing happening with some clinicians yes i'm sure i mean i know clinicians that require all their clients to pay in cash so that they don't have to pay federal taxes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm sure there are people that do this sort of thing all the time. Interesting. But you don't have... It it, it is part of their um, therapist agreement with Talkspace that they are not going to... You know, poach clients. But how would you know? Right. Sometimes right. you know, sometimes you don't. And really, I mean, we just like to focus on the therapists that are doing a good job. And, you know, there's going to be a small percentage that behave unethically because I mean that also puts the we've had you know emails to customer service from clients that are really put off by that when they get that offer right and they don't know what to do right yeah (laughs) right so that that's sort of the probably one of the major disincentives which is as a therapist it makes you look sleazy right it does and clients probably will want to switch to someone else that's what happens they they email customer service and ask to switch they do not like it right because it probably feels creepy to them. Mm-hmm. And if they're willing to do that, what else are they willing to do? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, on live person, I don't know about talk space. I'm guessing talk space is more buttoned up about this than live person was, but live person, when I looked into it six years ago, said that they can publish all communication between the 
provider and the consumer mm. at, for advertising or something. Oh, wow. Which, you know, obviously would be terrible for therapists. And I'm guessing right. Talkspace we will not do would that. never do that. Um, they can also, according to their terms and conditions for a live person, they can arbitrarily and permanently sever all communication between provider and consumer, which is also a terrible thing, which I'm guessing Talkspace doesn't, uh, doesn't do. Only if in extreme conditions, if like a therapist is threatening the threatening <laughs> client yeah. or. Yeah. Um, I also conducted a small survey to psychologists, particularly uh, not just general counselors, but actually to psychologists on live person six years ago. And uh, I found that they all considered their, their clients on live person to be actual clients and not psycho ed or coaching. Um, and when I informed them, did you realize that when you clicked, I agree to the terms and conditions, you were agreeing to the opposite. And they're like, Oh, I didn't even read that. Um, my survey also indicated that the psychologists uh, do not provide a disclosure statement. And so to, live person is not for just for therapy, you know, right. Talk space is specifically for counseling and therapy. And so therefore you have a disclosure statement set up along those lines. Uh, these people, it could be any professional and they didn't have any, I mean, these people were providing therapy to people without any informed consent <laughs> essentially is what I found. And I'm guessing there are other sites where that's happening. Um, also the psychologist didn't verify the client's identity like we were talking about earlier. So my, my overall thing here is that it seems like Talkspace is really trying to become as buttoned up as, are they like the most popular site or, yes. okay. So they're trying to become like the Amazon of online therapy mm-hmm. and therefore, they're constantly learning and saying, okay, how can we learn from our mistakes and how can we, Absolutely. Really, how can we get buttoned up on this area? Just right. like any emerging. Yeah. Field. Committed to providing the highest standard of care. Right. Like we talked about earlier, even though they don't have to, they're saying, look, you can only have clients that are in your state, which I find to be extremely over limiting to your site. I mean, if I was on your board, I'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, <laughs> like we're really, we only have to do that for people in California. Let's just change the laws Let's respond to the laws as they happen, Mm -hmm. and maybe there'll be waves of this changing in each state. But for now, it's just New York and California, so let's just do it there because the rest – because it'd be so much easier as a kind of a free trade Mm -hmm. situation for us to be more fluid about Mm -hmm. that, more flexible. Um, But uh, you guys are, uh, you know, more buttoned up than you need to be. And so – so I'm gain, you know, I have a lot of confidence in Talkspace's ability to uh, to move forward to that. And regarding the Todd Essig, you know, article about that one therapist, if you looked into any therapist and just scrutinized everything that they did, in person or otherwise, you're going to find problems mm-hmm. with with the things that they do. And that doesn't mean that we should just be like, well, who cares? It just means that making innocent or snafus or brain farts kinds of mistakes are, are actually pretty frequent to people. And we're human. Yeah. Turns out. And you know, it's te- like, for instance, just as an example at the university, my, my university, you, you actually might've been a student at this time. It was a while ago. Do you remember when that student lost their USB drive that had, yes. all those- okay. So you were, you were there. Um, we uh, have a clinic 
in the mm-hmm. university, and it's owned by the university. It's you know, it's a mental health clinic run by the university. I'm a supervisor in that clinic, and the uh, one of the clinicians was a student had taken uh, some videoed sessions, put it on a USB thumb drive to bring to her supervisor or, I don't know, to review or something, and walked out of the clinic and got to her car, and by the time she got home, she realized she didn't have her thumb drive anymore. Mm -hmm. And so she surmised she must have lost it on the street between the door of the clinic and her car. (laughs) And she told, which is the right thing to do, um, she could have not said anything and probably nothing would have happened because mm-hmm. <laughs> the chance, and it was unencrypted. Well, that was another thing, unencrypted thumb drive. But she reported it, which was good. And then it threw the entire university into a panic, which you probably remember me coming right. to you and all the other students saying, do not do blank, blah, blah, blah. And if you do happen to have an unencrypted drive, do not lose it, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, um, that was, uh, and to some extent, the university was at fault for that because we even allowed a student to walk out with a thumb drive. Mm-hmm. I mean, to some extent, we should just not even be not allowing that to happen. So, so that's just one example. You know, these kinds of things, they happen. Right. And they're mistakes and they're not good. Um, and we need to do what we can to not do that. Talk space just because there's a couple of mistakes doesn't mean that the entire platform is somehow flawed and should be destroyed. You know? Right. It just means, okay, let's learn from our mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, let, and it sounds like your VP was, um, uh, took responsibility. Yes. Um, which, you know, I'll take your word for it. You know, she, she was like, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've learned from my mistake, you know, da, da, da. there's no excuse or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like that happen. And that's what we did when we lost that thumb drive. We had to we had to call all those clients and we didn't know which clients were on the thumb drive, so we had to call all our clients on the phone and tell them this is what happened. We're terribly sorry. And, you know, some of the clients were upset at mm-hmm. the university and at the therapist and and so it's bad. Right. But you know, it's the responsible thing to do. Um why does Todd Todd Essek have a thing against you guys? You know, I'm not sure. It it seems like uh to me he it seems like he sensationalizes the whole thing. He doesn't do um research to yeah. find out the whole story. It to me it just seems like a retelling of uh a bitter therapist's ex- experience. Yeah. Was he was what do you mean? Was he a therapist? No, he's retelling the story of his source. Yeah. Basically. Well, yeah. I mean, if you read the article and that's all the context you have, it seems it's very damning, right? You know, but have getting more background. It's not fair, you, though. It do, yeah, it doesn't feel like that both sides are fairly represented, right? Yeah, or perspective is provided or mm-hmm. something. Um, yeah, yeah. It does. It does seem. I don't know. It's just funny that I guess you know, bloggers to get views, you gotta be sensationalized, right? Sensational. Anyway. All right. Shannon, well, thank you so much for talking about online counseling. What's what's the final word on online counseling that you'd like to say? Uh, well, I will say that um, it's growing. <laughs> it's growing, so we all need to kind of be up on what the laws are in our states if we're going to do it. And, um, you know, it's it's something that's happening. It's the way the world's going, and I'm really happy that it's going well. Yeah, yeah. 
it's probably... And that more people are getting help. Right, right. More people are getting help. They're, they have... I mean, one of the nice things that I can say for sure is that if you're a client, you now have a lot more things available to you. Mm-hmm. You can still go to an in-person therapist. Right. Sure. But if you want, you can do online counseling mm-hmm. and you can mm-hmm. do, you know, there's all these different options now for people. So consumers have greater control and power over their own care mm-hmm. to get the specific care that they want. It's sort of like, actually, it's probably similar to the whole like taxi versus Uber thing. You know, when Uber first came out, there was, and there to some extent there still is, a lot of like these sensational press pieces about how terrible Uber is, mm-hmm. you know. Uber driver rapes a woman, therefore Uber is terrible. Mm-hmm. Or Uber doesn't pay their people enough, therefore Uber is evil and taxis are great or something. And as a person who grew up, you know, not grew up, but lived in Seattle for a long time and took taxis a lot before Uber, I can tell you that Uber is literally 100 times better than the, ta- than the taxi service. No doubt. I mean, taxis were fine if you were downtown and a taxi was driving by and you hailed it Mm -hmm. and it picked you up and took you somewhere, it's fine. But if you're not where that happens, which is 99.99% of King County, Mm -hmm. you know, right now, taxis never drive by the street, um, you would have to call the dispatch and the person on the other, uh, you know, who would pick up would just be like this like crazy person, you know, Mm -hmm. Louis De Palma kind of thing. You know, it's like, I need a taxi for, uh, you know, business or personal, you know, Uh, it's personal. Okay. Click. I'd be like, well, how long are we talking five minutes? Are we talking two hours? Cause literally it could be two hours before the taxi Mm -hmm. would show up. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'd call back and I'd be like, where, where is it? Like, Oh, uh, huh. What do you mean? I like, well, I asked for where, uh, this address. Oh, we don't have that as a record. No one's coming. Well, how come, you know, just, this it was the most convoluted like 1930s style kind of service, mm-hmm. and then when Uber came out, it was just like mm-hmm. whoa. And so Talkspace, I think, is in that direction. It makes things much more uh, for some people, much more in line with what the sort of thing they're looking for. You know, to have access to a therapist twice. I mean, there are clients I'm guessing whom talk to you who you will correspond 10 times a week because yes. it's morning, night, mm-hmm. morning, you know, for, for Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. they get to check in with you 10 times a week right? and get, you know, a, a slight back and forth with you about something. And to have that constant, almost constant presence of your therapist in your life, uh, for some people I'm, I'm guessing is just a wonderful thing. It is. It's a, it's a fantastic way for people to access services. Yeah. So I'm really proud of the mission. Yeah. Having said that, I don't think I'll ever do it. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like talking to people on that couch right there, and uh, I I just don't. That's okay. Yeah, I just don't. I mean, I guess if I was just starting out and I was building a practice, mm-hmm. I guess maybe I would consider it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, having said that, it's I actually am, I'm probably someone who would be good to do it because I actually spend a fair amount of time corresponding with podcast listeners Mm -hmm. throughout the day. Right. You know what I mean? And so, so what if you had a client, um, that was moving away and they still wanted to see you? It's a good question. Usually I'd terminate. Uh, uh, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, I can't even remember the last time that happened. Most of my clients are long term, Mm -hmm. you know, and have lived in the area for a long time. And so, um, but I'll switch to phone. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll do phone sessions. Someone's phone. out of town or something. Yeah, phone I'm fine with. Mm-hmm. 
there's actually a lot of differences about phone sessions that can actually be quite um, – there's pros and cons to the phone session. Uh, but texting or sort of, you know, emailing it, I just, it's just not my thing. You know, I think it, are you a, a texting, emailing person in general? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And I, and, and I've actually used email therapeutically with some clients, you know, there's sometimes rarely where there'll be a situation where I will say, I need to actually really send a therapeutic email right now mm-hmm. because I'm not going to see them in a while or something. And I really need to think about what I'm going to say here and really make sure that they understand that I'm empathizing with their mm-hmm. situation. You know, usually it's just over, you know, scheduling and stuff, but every once in a while. So I, I'm absolutely amenable to that kind of work. But I think I, if, if I had someone solely over email type messaging, mm-hmm. I think I would wonder what the person felt like to me mm-hmm. if I was in the room. Like mm-hmm. I, I kind of, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm that kind of therapist mm-hmm. that I'm extremely oriented to like gauging what someone feels like to me. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. And you know, actually I get, I get that through people's writing too. Really? And something that I just thought of as you were talking about this, writing a therapeutic email to people, like um, something I do hear about is people reading revisiting and rereading conversations that we've had over, you know, our time together. And it's nice for them to have that to refer to. Right. Right. That's a benefit that we didn't yeah. point out was yeah, that, talk about that 10 years later, you can go back right. and read, read something that mm-hmm. your therapist sent to you and, and get benefit from it mm-hmm. each time you read it, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think the main issue is just like, I don't need to do it. So, right. Um, it would just be a whole other kind of thing I would have to learn and mm-hmm. figure out. And so, mm-hmm. you know, but maybe I'd like it better. I don't know. But I think this is great that we're talking about it because so many people wonder. And now all your listeners get to hear about it. That's right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. And thanks for joining me back on the podcast, Shannon. It was good to see you again. It's been, it's been a while. It's been a while. Thanks Actually, just me. the other day, I posted a rerun of our episode in which we talked about therapists attracted to clients. I saw it. Yeah. So (laughs) it was ironic that it was like, wait, I'm going to talk with you. So um, even though in podcast land, you were just on the podcast. Right. It's actually been a a couple of years ago. I think you just reposted men in shame too. Yeah. Right. Which was recorded. Because it's timeless. Like a few years ago or something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. well, just so you know, what I did uh, a while ago was I picked certain past episodes that were amazing. That were amazing that I thought should be reposted as premium content only. Mm-hmm. So I like erased them from the regular feed. Oh, I see. And said this one is too good; it needs to be like just for the patrons. Mm-hmm. And so your t- those two episodes, I uh, you know, said, will this one be just for patrons? No, this one will be for everyone. Okay, good. because. I feel like there's a lot of people interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So take care of yourself out there because you deserve it. Mm-hmm.